0: Hey there, this is Mike, and you're listening to Feeling Twisty. I'm really glad you're here. What to do when disaster strikes. I was chatting to two lovely people earlier this week. Alessandra Rossi-Philippi and Grant Monk. (laughs) Alessandra, I hope I rolled that R right. If you're involved with Neville Goddard groups, I'm sure you've seen their wonderful posts and comments. Now, no one is a master above anyone else, but I would definitely call Alessandra and Grant manifesting badasses. And if you ever have a chance to talk to them or read their stories and what they share in the... Uh, Facebook groups. Take advantage of it. Read what they're saying. You'll get a lot from them. So uh, I love those two people. They suggested I talk about revising disaster. <laughs> That's a good one. A disaster, or where really any event, is what it is to us based on our first-person experience of it, How how we feel about it, the state we're in, There might be some news about a disaster, a storm, or an earthquake, or fires. And how we react to that is what we're going to perpetuate in our lives and tells us what state we're in, even if it's something that seems like it's far away, not really connected to you, but you hear about it. Well, you're still hearing it, and that's your first-person experience of it. You're still reacting to it in some way. Maybe you're reacting, oh, gosh, this is awful. Oh, this is so sad. And you're filled with pity for those uh, victims of whatever the tragedy was, whatever the disaster is. Or maybe you imagine lovingly for them, refuse to see them in a pitiful state. It's always our first-person experience of it, even if it seems like it's something disconnected to us. There is no disconnection. You might see something on the news or hear from a friend of some tragedy. It's all within you and how you react to the news, how you feel about it depends on the state you're in. Knowing that I can only experience the contents of consciousness, my world, humanity, plants, animals, even inanimate objects are always reflecting my own imaginings because everything is within consciousness. So being confronted with something horrible, ignoring it doesn't get me any closer to knowing imagination, my true self. I don't panic and start wondering, what the hell did I imagine to bring this into my life? Well, here it is in my life. Do I want to perpetuate it or do something about it? By doing something about it, revising it, I'm altering the course of my life. We get to know ourselves and reshape our world as we prune the vine. We revise the images within us. We are the vine. And the branches, what we experience in this world, is rooted in us, the vine. So it is up to us individually to prune the vine. And I'm not talking about some collective consciousness, you know, relying on the collective. I need other people to imagine with me to make changes. No, everything is within me. Everything is within you. We seem small and separate and we think we need others. But I always ask myself, what do I want for myself and for others and for my world? And I prune that within me. I prune the images within me with no concern or worry about other people imagining something differently. There are no secondary causes. Some might see two hurricanes hitting a city, my city, within six weeks of each other, a true disaster. You know, I've heard people around here say things like, what's God trying to tell us? Oh, this is awful. As I said before, I just don't see it that way. I haven't at any point thought of the storms and their aftermath as as disasters. I'm not denying there's a lot of damage, but I don't think and feel disaster. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure, there's devastation, there's damage, but what I'm feeling is not that, oh, this is a disaster. I can acknowledge damage without feeling disaster. Now, I'm not talking about the hurricane this time. I'm I'm going to take you through one particular event that I would call a disaster. (laughs) I've talked about this a few times on Feeling Twisty. In fact, episode number one, Blood and Bones and Forgiveness, is about this. I'm going to focus on what and how I used revision immediately following and the months after my son's motorcycle crash. Now, we usually hear those one-and-done stories when it comes to manifesting. I share those on here all the time. You know, where I tell you a story about something that came up, something I wanted, and then I imagined a quick little scene or just decided it was done and went on about my day. And then I tell you about how wonderfully it came about. But this one was a little more involved. And it was more involved because that's what I assumed That's how I assumed it was going to be at the time. I'm always experiencing what I'm assuming. So I'm not telling you the story to tell you that certain things take longer and a process. I'm just sharing with you how and what I did at the time. This was a little over two years ago, near midnight on a Saturday night. It was a hit and run. The driver of the car that struck my son was eventually caught and arrested. And I talked about all of that in episode one. My son's body had some very serious injuries. uh, uh, Bleeding in the brain, cracked sternum, his hand was nearly severed, and it looked like he might even lose his genitalia. It was bad. As we stood in the emergency room, the nurses and doctors were painting an awful, picture of my son's prognosis. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I wasn't affected to see my son on the bed and hear him talking out of his head. Uh, they said it could be a delirium from the brain bleed or just the trauma of the accident and all the pain medicine they were giving him. All that was difficult to witness. As Kim and I drove to the scene of the accident, Kim was driving and she looked over at me and said, do what you do start imagining for him. And I did, as we drove to the accident, as we were at the accident, and uh, throughout this whole thing. Back at the hospital, as the doctor told us about how badly he was injured, I revised what he was saying. I heard his voice, the doctor's voice, but instead of him giving me all the horrible facts, I heard what I wanted to hear, that my son's injuries weren't as bad as they initially thought. And there was one particular nurse who I had gone to school with decades ago. So she was a friend, and as a friend, she thought she should tell us the real facts. And she made it sound even worse. You know, The doctor was trying to be optimistic, uh, according to her, and she wanted to give us the much darker outlook on my son. And I can understand that. She wanted to make sure we understood, and... Don't we all have that urge at some point to, you know, let me tell you what it's really like. Let me tell you how bad this really is. <laughs> well, I revised what she said too. Instead of the dim prognosis she was giving us, I heard her say, oh, he'll be fine. Now he had to be rushed to a trauma center in another city about an hour away. And when, once he got there, he went into surgery immediately. And after the surgery, the surgeon told us that he was able to piece the bones in his arm back together with pins, plates, and rods. But he had lost a large piece of his arm, which uh, would need extensive tissue grafts. It was just a chunk of his muscle and tendons, everything within the arm in that area, gone. And I did the same thing then that I did in the emergency room hours earlier. I revised what the doctor said. I heard his voice, the doctor's voice, listening to him tell us, we are surprised at how well Caleb is doing. And I held onto that rewritten script in imagination, knowing that it didn't matter what they had said aloud, but only what I had heard in imagination. The next day, the follow- the next surgery, was only to clean out the wound in his arm and prep it for a separate surgery for the plastic surgeon to rebuild the arm. But when the surgeon met us after that prep cleaning surgery, he said matter-of-factly that he went ahead and reattached the muscle in the arm. The muscle and tissue that hours before were gone, ripped out in the crash, were there and easily reattached. The following morning, the surgeon came into the room, and if you spend any time in a hospital, you know that doctors, they don't wait until the middle of the day when you're wide awake to come in and talk to you like they do on the television shows. (laughs) They come in very early in the morning when they're doing rounds. I was half asleep as I heard the doctor telling us. We're shocked at how well Caleb is doing. In my revised version, I had heard him say, we're surprised at how well Caleb was doing. I wasn't going to argue the point. Him being shocked at Caleb's condition was perfectly all right with me. A day or two later, the doctor told us that Caleb would have to stay in the trauma center for a couple of months, and then spend another couple of months in a rehab hospital. So he wasn't going anywhere soon. I didn't revise that conversation. But I did imagine seeing my son sitting on our sofa at home smiling and I knew he'd be out sooner. Instead of the months the doctor had said, he was out of the hospital and back home two weeks later. He got out of the trauma center weeks sooner than the doctors had said and didn't need to go to a rehab hospital. In the following months, my son's physical condition continued improving better than originally expected by the doctors, but his mental state was uh, dark. He felt disfigured and less of a man. He was quietly dealing with feelings of being ugly, even unworthy of love because of his scars on his body. He was 19 years old. He thought he'd never have a normal life again. You might be able to identify with that, you know? No one is ever going to love me like this kind of feeling. When I heard how he was feeling, I revised the conversation with the person I was talking to, the person who told me that. I revised the entire conversation into being about how bright his spirits were and how well he's doing mentally. And I felt the thrill of a parent seeing his son thrive. I pruned the vine with the pruning shears of revision, as Neville says. I revised the image of my son that I was holding within me. It's always ourselves that we change if we were to see a change in another. I didn't go and talk with my son about it and try to convince him that he's worthy or that he's got a bright future. You know, the usual thing as a parent, I would have done it'll get better with time and all of that. I don't need to try to convince him. All I need to do is change the image within me, prune the vine. Revise it. I continued holding the revised image of him in imagination. When I would think of him, I would see his smiling face, knowing that he is thriving, and feel that proud satisfaction as his dad, seeing him thrive. I assumed the feeling that I would have were Caleb thriving now, the pride and joy as a father for his son. And let me tell you, he is thriving. Oh man, physically he's in great shape and he's in a loving relationship with a literal beauty queen. I guess I'm supposed to say pageant winner, but uh, she's beautiful too. And they're so happy, so happy together. And he's doing so well now. He is that image that I held onto in imagination, the image that I pruned a couple of years ago. This past September 9th, two years since the accident, he wanted to celebrate what he called his uh, wreck (laughs) anniversary. His feelings about the whole thing have changed. The dark, depressing thoughts are gone and he thrives. Now you might be thinking of all kinds of other ways I could have used revision in this case but I wanted to share it with you just as it happened. And knowing what I know now, I would have done things differently then too, because I'm in a different state than I was back then. I recently spoke with someone who has a son in a, not quite the same, but a seemingly insurmountable situation. And I believe the story that I just told you will give to her. I knew my son was going to be okay from the first moment I revised what the nurses and doctors said that night in the emergency room, but I revised little conversations throughout because they weren't what I wanted to hear. What I knew was what I had imagined that first night, but I continued to prune the vine as the days and weeks progressed. Anytime I've imagined my wish fulfilled, if I hear or see something that contradicts it, I revise it. I don't accept anything less than the state I have imagined. Like in the story of my son, when I would hear something from the doctor or from a family member about my son, I didn't freak out and wonder if I messed up or that I imagined incorrectly. I refused to give life to anything other than him healthy and thriving. In those times when I felt something, I, I noticed I was feeling the bad news I was hearing. That's when I revised. Other times I remained unbothered. Thanks, Amanda, For that's uh, Amanda's word for 2020. I did an episode about that at the beginning of this year. Check that one out. But I remained unbothered. Here's a fun revision from earlier this week. As I've said (laughs) repeatedly, we've had to have our house gutted because of all the water that came in from both of the hurricanes. And in my last episode, I shared how a team of volunteers called to say they would do the gutting and mold killing for free. Check out episode 160, must have for that story. So this was this past Monday, day three of the mud out. The team, uh, the team doing the work had a new leader that day. Now, this man has been doing this type of thing for decades, a really gritty old salt from the Northeast. <laughs> I walked with him through the house as he looked to see what was left to do, and he just wasn't very happy. He started going on and on about how much there's too much to do. Uh, the house was too big, and too much of a demand on their resources and that they had hundreds of other houses they had to get to. And he just basically said that it wasn't worth their time to spend all of this time on my house. I was surprised. (laughs) I felt like a dog might feel when popped in the nose with a newspaper. (laughs) I didn't say anything other than, well, I'm not going to argue with you. It's going to get done whether you do it or not. And I ended the conversation. I went outside, and I sat in my truck for a couple of minutes. I knew what I should do, but I texted Kim anyway to tell her what had happened. And she replied with exactly what I knew I should have been doing already. So while sitting in the truck, I put myself back inside my house with the team leader. And I said, okay, you do what you think is best. And the feeling I was feeling was... Fine, that's fine. It's going to get done and work out perfectly regardless. That's what I was feeling. If they were to leave the job early, then I would pay someone to finish it or it would come about in a perfect way anyway. It wasn't a money thing. I revised the conversation because how I felt in that moment, how I reacted, wasn't what I wanted. My reaction implied my wish wasn't fulfilled. And in that moment, that that particular wish was the house is gutted, cleaned, and ready for the contractor. And the way I reacted to him, that feeling like a chastised dog told me that I'm not in the wish fulfilled. I'm not in the state of that wish fulfilled. So that's why I revised that moment. I went about my day knowing that it all worked out perfectly. That afternoon, the team leader had totally transformed. Now he was very chatty and friendly and giving me all kinds of tips on renovations and what types of tankless water systems to use and talking about the ductwork, the wiring, everything. Very helpful man. His demeanor had completely changed after I revised our conversation. It was a change in me that did it. Me arguing with him wouldn't have done it. They came back the next day, day four, and not only tore out the sheetrock, but sprayed and washed every beam and stud in the house. Twice, he said. He was very excited, telling me all the things they had done, completely different than he was the morning before. The house smells great now. All that mold and mildewy smell is gone. Like I've said, the damages to my house, uh, that's not a disaster. We've been wanting to totally renovate the house, the wiring, ductwork, everything. And so, well, here we are. That little conversation with the team leader didn't bump me out of that state. Well, it could have, if I had assumed that it did. I could have easily, in fact, I used to do this, I would react a way, a certain way, like to a conversation. And then I would blow the whole thing up. Well, this means everything's bad. I have screwed it all up and have to start all over. No, don't assume that. I reacted because of one particular wish. The state I was in was uh, not the state of that wish fulfilled. And I reacted because I was not in that state. And that wish was to have the mitigation part of all of this done quickly and easily. Anytime I'm confronted with a situation, I ask myself, what do I want? If what I'm presented with isn't what I want, then I move an imagination into what I do want. I revise it. As I record this episode, the vote count is still going on for the President of the United States. And this morning, the television uh, was on the Today Show. They were interviewing Rabbi Stephen Leder. I don't know the man, but apparently he's a well-known or respected rabbi but they were talking to him about the state of the nation and the fear and worry that they say people are, are experiencing right now. Now, I wasn't really paying attention to the conversation until he said uh, something that caught my ear. Rabbi Leader said, don't catastrophize the future. Don't catastrophize the future. But that isn't what we do, or that's exactly what we do sometimes, catastrophize the future. We're always imagining ahead of what we're experiencing. When something happens in our lives, we can't help but start imagining the future based on that news. Whether it's good or bad, we immediately start thinking of what's the next step. Here's what's a likely progression of things from this point. Something wonderful happens, and we start imagining all the wonderful things that are coming because of this thing that happened. Now, I used to do the opposite. Anytime something good would happen, I would start immediately catastrophizing the future. I would imagine all the ways that this good thing could be taken away or how I could ruin it. I'd get a large sum of money and immediately start imagining up a future where I ran out of that money. At every moment, we have a choice to accept the facts as given or choose what we do want and move into that state. Whether or not something is a disaster is completely within my purview, my state, and I can transcend any state. One person's disaster is another person's opportunity to grow, to expand, to shift into a lovelier state of consciousness. By the way, I just did an episode about revision. It's called Remember It Differently. Check that one out and share your stories with me. How are you using revision? I love you. This is Feeling Twisty.